it comes but once a year each tick of the clock the time draws near where there'll be hope for every team in the national football league Kuiper and Boxbaum paved the way, predicting the names Kamish would say. Drastics watching every day. For the prospects where they play. Gouty, Frankie, Fox, and Trey. From Mobile to Indy displays seven rounds of fun. Whether it's Mr. Irrelevant or number one. It's the countdown to the NFL Draft. Welcome to the Deep Sea Podcast, brought to you by DraftCountdown.com. I'm Scott Wright. In this episode, I'm going to be taking a look at the top quarterback prospects for the 2016 NFL Draft, but from an analytics perspective with Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus. Steve, welcome to the show. I appreciate you joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. So I got to preface this by saying I'm the person who is terrible at math. In high school, I'd have to work twice as hard to get half the results with math. So it's not that I'm against analytics or anything like that, but uh, it's just not my cup of tea. So this might seem like a basic question to you, but but what are like the main ingredients that go into evaluating a quarterback prospect with statistics? Are there certain stats that are maybe weighted heavier than others? Are measurables accounted for? What's like the recipe? Well, the way we do it, you know, I think we, I think we get a reputation as a stat-based company or, or stat. You know, I think when you hear analytics, there's a number of different ways you can go, but if you hear analytics and you think stats, that might not be exactly what we do at PFF because our stuff's all film study. I call it quantified film study, essentially. So, you know, instead of saying, you know, instead of judging a guy based off of tools or upside of projection, we're actually saying, did you do your job or did you not? So from a QB standpoint, did you make the throw or did you not, you know, and you'll get a little bit more credit when you make a better throw, whether it's ball location, timing, uh, more challenging throws, will get a bit of a higher grade. So, it's really just quantifying what we see on film. And then on the side, there'll be all sorts of uh, stats and numbers that, um, you know, will come out of it as well. But those are more used to kind of back up what we see in our film grade. So um, that's how I would look at it, more of a quantified, quantified film study. Sure. Is there one area that you guys place a greater value on than others, whether it be wins, yardage, accuracy, is there one area that you maybe put a greater emphasis on than others? Yeah, I don't know if there's one that, that stands out. I think, I think what we're able to do, though, is, is to, take, to, to add context to, to the stats. So, uh, you know, last year with Jameis Winston, when he had all those interceptions, I think we were able to go back and say, okay, did he, were those lucky, were those unlucky? Did he earn those interceptions, so to speak, and we're able to uh, you know, really show, you know, did he misread the coverage? Did he get away with some dropped interceptions? And what we found was some of those were unlucky. Some of them uh, he got away with, actually. He actually threw a lot of passes that should have been more intercepted. So I'd say we, we, pro- we put a pretty heavy weight on, uh, say, should-be interceptions, passes that just go 0 for 1 in the box score, but actually should have been, you know, a complete misread of coverage where maybe the linebacker drops it. So I'd say those are the types of things that we would emphasize more um, or show up more in our grades, definitely more than the stats would show, and maybe sometimes more than, um, you know, evaluators will actually focus on. Well, let's dig a little deeper into these top three quarterback prospects specifically, and, and I'm going to start with Paxton Lynch from Memphis because personally he's my favorite. It's not that I have anything against Carson Wentz or Jared Goff. It's just I guess we all have to kind of pick our corner, and if I had to pick one of the three, I would go for Lynch personally. But I guess with, with each of these three quarterbacks, I kind of want to do a similar thing where maybe you can give me the case for them and the case against them based on your guys' research. 
Sure. I think with so, Paxton, the case for him. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Let's start with Paxton Lynch. Yeah, I'd say the, the case for Paxton, the biggest thing is um, I think he's improved every single season. I, I followed him uh, somewhat closely at the tail end of recruiting, um, even you know, so even before he got into college. And you could see a guy that was 6'7 and skinny, and I think he continued to progress and develop from his freshman year at Memphis uh, all the way through his junior year. So I think that's the biggest thing is you see a guy that continues to improve, um, certainly has the size and arm strength and everything that you're looking for from uh, you know, from a measurable standpoint, I think at, at QB, he has that uh, has athleticism too. And I don't know that his athleticism is special enough or special in the NFL, but it's, you know, it's good for a six, seven quarterback. And, um, you know, from a grading standpoint, I think he improved greatly from the sophomore to junior season for us. Um, so I think, I think just knowing that you have a guy that continues to progress is, is the biggest thing in his favor, at least, uh, in my eyes, pretty you know, being pretty familiar with with him, you know, essentially since high school. Can you maybe put into perspective the leap he made from his sophomore to his junior season? Because, uh, like you said, he, he continues to improve every year. But it's not like he was the worst quarterback in college football as a sophomore, and then all of a sudden as a junior, he's being talked about as a top ten overall pick. Maybe from from your rankings, your evaluations, how how big of a jump did he make in the last twelve months or so? Yeah, so just to quant- from our grading standpoint, you know, we put everything on a plus-minus scale, zero being average. So last year he was plus 17. More, you know, he's one of the better QBs in the country. But uh, so plus 17, and then this year he moved up to plus 30.4, which actually put him 12th overall in the entire country from a from a grading standpoint. Improved as a passer, improved as a runner. You know, just picking his spots as far as scrambling or, or picking picking up yards uh, from a zone read type of standpoint. So. I thought he did a nice job, and I know the, the touchdown to inter- interception ratio looks good, 28 to 4. I think a lot of that does stand up to scrutiny. Just like I said earlier, we do focus on, you know, the passes that should have been intercepted too, and I think he did a nice job of, of taking care of the football. So I think every little area, you know, he's made a, a bit of a jump over the last few years. Uh, well, and then on the other flip side of the coin, what would be the case against Paxton Lynch? From what you've seen, is, is there one or two areas that, of concern that maybe stand out? Yeah, I think there'll be questions about the offense. I don't know. The offense stuff continues to uh, come up every single year because, you know, everybody in the uh, in college is, is running some form of the spread, and, and that's going to come up no matter what. But I think statistically one of the things that really stood out for me was at the intermediate level and outside the numbers, you know, we have a thing called accuracy percentage, which essentially takes out, you know, gives the QB credit for drops, takes away throwaways and uh, QB getting hit while throwing. So we have this accuracy percentage number that that just really isolates how well the QB just put the ball on his receiver. And he was only accurate 49% of the time at the intermediate level outside the numbers. And I know it sounds like it's a very specific place, but that's your deep out, your deep comeback. Uh, sometimes your, your, uh, your, your hole in between cover two, you know, between the corner and the safety. Those types of throws, he just was not very accurate. 49%, that was amongst the, among the worst marks in the entire nation. So I think that is one of those things that really stands out. I know he has good arm strength and I know he's capable. Uh, you know, you'll hear that he's capable of making all the throws, but as far as actually making those throws, he was not very efficient in that area this season. Well, that's a good segue into talking about Jared Goff from California because you mentioned the, the system he played in, and certainly that's going to become under scrutiny with Goff, and that's 
people are going to criticize Goff for the for the type of offense he operated at Cal. How do you kind of factor that into your analysis? Uh, do you kind of take note that a lot of dump-offs, check-downs, do you note when guys are going down the field? And I, I guess how is that going to be factored to the equation with Jared Goff this year? Yeah, so as far as our uh, initial grade, our actual number that we put on him, it's not necessarily factored in. We're just grading a guy at what he does in the system. But what, what we do is we go back and uh, really uh, try to evaluate these guys and figure out where did that initial grade come from? Because we're grading these guys all throughout the season, but as draft, as the draft comes along or draft season, so to speak, then we're going back and trying to evaluate what was the skill set, What exactly did he do to earn that grade? And I, I know that the system will be a factor. I think there's a little bit of guesswork as to how much uh, was predetermined for him, but it looks to me like he goes through reads quickly I think he cycles through things quickly, and I, I think that's uh, something he's continued to get better at. Um, you know, he, he graded well for us last year as well. He was our number eight QB overall in the nation. That's with, with Marcus Mariota as the top guy. Goff was number eight in 2014, and then he was number two this past season, or the, the top uh, power five QB from a grade standpoint. So, you know, he's executing that system well, and whether or not that uh, ends up slowing his progress in the NFL. You know, it might, but I, I like the fact that he's picked up a system and, and run it at a high level in college, even if it's not something that you're going to uh, traditionally see on Sunday. So, yeah, there's a lot. There's some predetermined. There's some short stuff. But, you know, he did a heck of a job at the intermediate and deep ranges, and that really stood out for us in our grading. And, you know, I always try to make the point, too, that just because a player didn't do something at the college level doesn't necessarily mean he can't do it in the pro level. I, I right. think uh, to kind of evaluate the skill sets. But uh, And you kind of touched on, I'm sure that's going to be part of the case against Jared Goff, but maybe give us a little brief rundown. What's going to be the case against uh, case for him statistically and the case against Goff statistically? Yeah, I think I think the case for the big thing for me is I, I think he's ha- he, he's thrown the ball well at intermediate and deep ranges, but also handled pressure really well. I mean, he's almost almost better with a guy bearing down on him in his face. He made a lot of special throws this season, the post uh, or bucket throws down season. He he made a lot of throws that you just say, wow, you know, he's under pressure, he's about to get hit, and he's putting it right on his receivers. Did that at the inter- intermediate level, did that at the deep level. I do think. Uh, his short accuracy is not great. You know, he did throw a ton of short passes, and he completed a high percentage of them. But if you're really charting and looking at ball location, it's not always, uh, it, you know, in an ideal location for the receiver to catch it, get upfield. Uh, I know that there have been discussions about arm strength. I, I don't think he has a cannon by any means. Um, so as far as the short stuff goes, he's not going to, you know, really, really drive the ball, get it to his receiver quickly so that he can get upfield. But I don't think his arm strength is really a hindrance for him at the next level. I've talked to some other, some other people in the NFL too, who seem to agree that his arm is more than enough. So, uh, you know, again, I, I just, I just like the way he's run that offense. I like what he did at the intermediate deep level. I like the way he handled pressure in the blitz graded extremely well in both of those areas. Uh, just have some concerns about some of the, the short area, short area accuracy, but, um, the other thing I think working in his favor is just that Cal has not been a very good team. And I think he did elevate, those around him the last couple of years, especially in a very deep Pac-12. So I'm a big fan of Goff. Uh, you know, I don't think he's a, a great prospect necessarily. I don't know that he's a perfect prospect. I think looking at a guy like Marcus Mariota or Jameis Winston, you probably have a little bit more to like about those guys. But I think in this class, I think Goff is right now, at this point in our evaluation, I think he's my top guy. 
Well, and, and you mentioned one of my favorite things about Jared Goff is the toughness. Because I remember watching him in 2014, and he just took a beating behind that offensive line. He did. It, 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 to the point where it was really tough to even evaluate him. And it concerns me a little bit because I think he's maybe developed some habits that you might need to work to, to break uh, playing behind such a shoddy offensive line. But yeah. uh, you, you, you cannot question his toughness by any stretch. Uh, and last but not least, let's talk about Carson Wentz from North Dakota State, the, the, the one of the big three who probably has the most buzz right now. And uh, once again, the case for, the case against. So with Wentz, you know, we, we've graded every player in the FBS the last couple of years. So we didn't, we didn't go through and grade Wentz on, the, on our, our initial run. But I did go back and watch all, every throw from his seven games this season, and I put – I did some rough grading just to get a feel for where he would be in our system. Um, I think for, uh, my estimate is right around where Paxton Lynch graded, just from a straight grade standpoint. Uh, from a tool standpoint, you can see you can see them. I mean, you can see the arm strength, you can see the athleticism, the size, and I, so there's a lot to like. And I think it was pretty predictable that he would go to the Senior Bowl and everybody would fall in love with him because you just you see it in person. He throws a tighter spiral with a lot more velocity than everybody else there. So. Uh, that stuff is evident on tape. You can see the deep comeback, the seam route, uh, easy velocity, easy arm strength for him. Um, he made some of those special throws in our in our system, which was nice to see. Uh, he he did make a few bad decisions though. He did you know force some balls into coverage or was late into coverage a few times, which I thought stood out. Um, and, and that's what I would say from a negative standpoint. The thing that kept coming to mind was that his timing in the passing game isn't great, but he has the arm strength to make up for it. I don't know if that always will translate or carry over to the NFL, but the other thing that kept coming to mind as I watched him is this is a guy who I feel like with two minutes left in the game can drive my team down the field because he has this arm, because he can uh, attack all levels of the field. Uh, I'd love to see him in a vertical passing offense, maybe Arizona's system. Obviously, he's probably not going not gonna to reach the back end of the first round at this point, but if he, I could see him in a Bruce Arians-type vertical system really challenging the the deep level of the field that the intermediate and deep ranges with really good arm strength. So that was the thing that stood out about Wentz. Um, some accuracy issues made a few bad decisions, but I could see those special throws on tape. Well, and now the level of competition, I'm interested as to how that's maybe factored into the equation. And I think he went a long way towards alleviating those concerns with his performance at the senior bowl. But is that something you just kind of make the mental adjustment when you're watching the tape to take into account that, Oh, he made that throw, but he might not have been able to make that, make that at the next level. Or how is that kind of factored in? It's a great question. I think it actually comes through in the grading pretty well. So, uh, you know, if a guy throws a guy throws a 70 yard touchdown, it could have any number of different types of grades in our system. You know, if you have a receiver that just has a step on the cornerback and you throw it 40 yards downfield and hit him in stride, you know, it's going to get a good grade. It's great ball location, uh, difficult throw versus maybe a completely busted coverage. And Wentz did have plenty of those, you know, busted coverage or wide open receivers that might only get a lesser grade, but still get the same statistics. So I think our, our system actually does a pretty good job if you isolate the grade and compare it to a guy's stats. I think it actually does show some of that difficulty or, just, you know, how the difficulty factor, so to speak. And, um, you know, if you're in an FCS game, a tight window is a tight window. And if you're making a throw into a tight window, you know, for the most part, it's, it's the same thing. Or if you're making a throw under pressure, it's, it's, it's essentially the same thing. So um, I do think our system, you know, will, will account for a lot of that. And I think, 
I think we saw that with Wentz. Like I said, I, I've estimated his grade to be right around where we had Paxton, which is about number 10 or 12 in the country, which is, which is very good. And then you add in, uh, I think, some of the, uh, the tools. And I think you have a guy that, that is a first-round prospect, even though I think I'd much rather have him sit and learn and gain more experience. And I know you could say that about every QB, but uh, for, for Wentz in particular, I'm not sure that he's the guy that you want to throw right into the fire right now. Well, and with Wentz, on one hand, you could say it's a tougher projection because of the level of competition. But on the other hand, it's a little easier in some ways because he played in a more traditional pro-style offense. And that's going to give him, I think, a little bit of an advantage over guys like Lynch and Goff because uh, it's, you, you see him doing more of what he's going to be asked to do at the next level. So there, there's pluses and there's minuses with Wentz. But beyond those top three quarterbacks, is there another signal caller in this draft that who has the most optimistic projection beyond those three from an analytics standpoint? Is there one guy that maybe stands out from that second or third tier that pro football focus likes from their, from your reviews? There's really not, a, I don't love this class. You know, I think I'm, I'm similar to everyone else. I think you've got a couple at the top that, that you can like, I don't love the that next tier. I think Connor Cook's probably the next best guy, but there's a lot of, um, you know, ups and downs to his game. Uh, the guy that really stood out from a grading standpoint, and remember, we're just grading how well this guy ex- executed his system, but a bit of a sleeper-type guy was Matt Johnson from Bowling Green, who just graded extremely well, and even though they were running, you know, they're in the MAC, they're running Baylor's system, essentially, which is just play Madden, chuck it deep, and, you know, let your fast guys go get it. Matt Johnson made a lot of special pros. He's a guy I'd be fascinated to see um, sit, learn, be in an NFL system and see he has a special looking arm. And I think uh, I'd love to just see if, if a team could develop him. Well, the last thing I want to talk to you about is the Cleveland Browns because they have the number two pick. They're probably going to be looking for a quarterback. And also because their new chief strategy offer, Paul De Podesta is very much coming from a baseball background where he was heavily based in analytics. So I guess I'm interested how do these quarterbacks stack up the big three of Lynch, Wentz, and Goff? Did one, does one look like vastly superior from a statistical standpoint than the other? Is it going to be a horse race? Uh, just where do you think the Browns and Dave Podesta are going to start, and how, what's the starting point looking at these three quarterbacks uh, from an analytics standpoint? Yeah, I think if you're just going to look objectively and forget size and arm strength and all that stuff, I think Goff certainly has the leg up. Uh, you know, doing it in the Pac-12, doing it with a team, uh, you know, with a poor offensive line, with maybe not the best team around him, uh, and seeing the numbers and seeing what he put up and, and how well he did, like I mentioned earlier, in those various situations, under pressure against the blitz on third down, um, I think Goff will have the, the, you know, he'll have a leg up on the rest of those guys just from a pure objective standpoint. I would have to say it's him and you know, again, with the analytics thing, there's a million different ways that you can look at this. And it's all it is, is just more information to, to evaluate players. And I've spoken, you know, to many teams as far as what they're looking for and what they do. And for some of them, it's as simple as, you know, third, you know, third down production or red zone production. And it's simply just quantifying all these different areas where a guy performs. And I think if, if that's the route that they take, I think, if you take all the numbers and shake them up, I, I would I would venture to guess that Goff comes out on top amongst those three. 
Well, and I'm sure like a lot of other people too, I've read the Moneyball book by Michael Lewis. And, and in that, you, you see the when, when they, it was with the Oakland A's, the system they put into place, it very much focused on just black and white spreadsheets. What are the numbers when they're evaluating players? It seemed to me, if my recollection is, is accurate, whereas I think Paul DePodesto would probably be the first one to admit you can't do that with football. You have to kind of modify that system. But it, if, if they were to ask you, what, what advice would you give him as he tries to translate statistics from baseball to football is there one if there's there one tip that you'd say hey we watch out for this or make sure you factor in this what would be your advice if they asked yeah that's a great question and I think the big thing with Moneyball too wasn't just you know it's a spreadsheet make a decision it's really just finding the limitations in the market and um, you know where where are teams fail that that's going to be like the broader uh, question for the Browns you know maybe maybe left guard is completely undervalued in the NFL and they can study that and figure it out and, and find a great left guard. That's going to change their offense. Who knows? I mean, that's, that's going to be a big thing of what they're, for what they're doing. But as far as the quarterbacks go, I think the biggest thing from a numbers analytics standpoint is figure out wh- what, which areas stay consistent year to year because football, there's so many moving parts, there's competition levels, there's so many different things, but I think just like in baseball, in baseball, they found out year to year for pitchers, it was strikeouts, walks, and home runs. And those things generally stayed consistent year to year. And every model that projected pitchers focused on those three areas. There's, there's probably something that stays consistent in each position group in the NFL year to year. While everything else around them is changing, their teammates, uh, their opponents, you know, their injury status, all that stuff is changing. There's probably a few things that stay fairly consistent. Maybe it's intermediate accuracy. Maybe it's how you handle the blitz. Maybe it's uh, how well you play in the red zone, whatever it is, find the, find what stays consistent and then build everything off of that. So I think that's what the Browns should do. And it's probably what they've already started to do is, is find those things that can be consistent, find those things that fluctuate and, uh, and build models and, and try to predict things right uh, based off of that. All right. Last question. So based on what you've seen, which of these top big three quarterbacks, assuming they're going to take one at number two, who do you think they pull the trigger on? And we won't hold you to it. There's still a few months left in the process here, but at this point in the process, who would you say is the favorite to go number two to the Cleveland Browns? Yeah, I'd, st- I'd still lean Goff. I think, I think he's the guy he's shown, he's shown that he can carry, he can elevate a team. He can carry a team in the PAC 12, a strong PAC 12. Um, he's shown you know, consistency year to year. I loved how well he played last year. Like we talked about when he was getting beat up, showed that toughness, uh, came back again this year, was one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. I just think given his body of work, um, I don't, th- I, I just don't think there are enough negatives to pass him up. Again, he's not a perfect prospect, but I, I I'd feel much more comfortable right now uh, looking at Goff at number two over either Wentz or, or Paxton. All right, before I let you go, I want to make sure to uh, give you a chance to let everybody know where they can follow you on Twitter, where they can read your stuff. Yeah, it's all, everything's at profootballfocus.com. We've got two sections, pro and college. We'll be filling that up with plenty of draft content now as, as we head into draft season. And I'm on Twitter at PFF underscore Steve. And, uh, yeah, we're just, we're just kicking off all the fun, just fresh back from Mobile, and uh, draft season is upon us. Well, thank you so much for your time, Steve. Uh, it's a great insight. Uh, I'd love to have you back here at some point in the coming months. Yeah, absolutely. I had a lot of fun. Let's do it again. All right. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks. So once again, that was Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus talking about the top quarterback prospects in this draft. 
very interesting. And like I say, I'm not a big numbers, math, analytics guy. It's not that I'm against it. It's just not my forte. But uh, I definitely learned a lot in that conversation. Hopefully you did too. And, and uh, I'm going to have Steve on again. And, and uh, maybe I'll pick his brain in another position and, and try to round out my knowledge base. So with that, I'm going to call the show. I want to thank everybody so much for listening and remind you to be sure to subscribe to the Draft Countdown podcast to make sure you get the latest episodes as soon as they are available. And with that, I'm going to call it a show. And as always, there are 87 days, one minute and 20 seconds left until the 2016 NFL Draft. Tick tock.